You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. Are you frustrated with PPOs? Are you on that fence where you're like, should I get out of them? Should I stay in them? What do I do? My write-offs are climbing. This is not fun anymore. Well, if that's you, which is a lot of people in dentistry, we're going to show you how to significantly increase your revenue without getting out of PPOs, because that is an option with Dr. Tom Oren. He provides some great thoughts and a great framework on how you can do that. I know you'll enjoy this, so listen up, and we'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. You know the jam. Our job is to bring the best thinkers, teachers, coaches, leaders in all dentistry and give you great advice because we ask them the questions to help you create a better practice and a better life. And today I'm bringing on a new friend of mine who I've had on before and I really enjoyed the conversation a lot. Dr. Tom Oren, you guys have seen him before, you've heard him before. And he's really, really sharp. And today we're going to be talking about how to significantly increase your revenue while staying in PPOs. So, Tom, thanks for being on again. I really appreciate you, buddy. Kirk, thank you so much for the opportunity. And um, that does sound like a twist. Increase your revenue while staying in PPOs, doesn't it? It does. And I'll tell you guys, as you're listening, I learn a lot. I'm going to highly suggest you grab a pen while he's talking because he knows his stuff and uh, you're going to love this. I'm actually taking notes right now. So, um, Tom, I want to start here, though. We've got a lot of young listeners, a lot of dental students. Uh, if they've never heard who you are, I always love to start with a little bio. Who are you? Well, um, in this case, sometimes the backstory uh, may be yes, maybe no. But in this case, I think the backstory is really important. So I'm happy to share that. <clears throat> and the reason it's important is that um, I made a mistake uh, in my first, I, I wish I could just say in my first year or two, but in my first 15 years of practice, I made the same mistake over and over year after year. And it's a mistake that's very common to a lot of dentists. And the mistake was, I was under the assumption that if I just focused on becoming the very, very best dentist clinically that I could be, that would be enough to build an amazing practice and a livelihood for my family and, and a future. And, um, Unfortunately, um, no, let me start with fortunately. 
fortunately, I did become a good dentist. So, I, you know, I, like everybody else, we all go to these courses. <clears throat> um, I went through the entire Dawson continuum, became really good at um, occlusion and TMJ. And I, I love that because in dental school, they didn't, they give you a little bit of it, but through the Dawson continuum, uh, which is still living on past Pete today, um, you know, it, it's just a wonderful opportunity to, to learn. I would, I would purposely seek out patients who had chronic headaches and were unable to get treatment from anybody else. I mean, they just, they would see ENT, they would see, <clears throat> excuse me, they would see neurology, they would see their primary, everybody would give them either drugs or medication, different stuff, therapies. If nothing worked, I would say, come to me. Now, I couldn't guarantee him it was, you know, I was going to be able to get him out of pain, but um, using one of Dawson's techniques, one of the differential diagnostic techniques that he taught, in five minutes, I could determine whether or not I was going to be able to help him. So it was really, why am I going into that kind of detail on that? Because that was my focus was becoming the best dentist I possibly could be. And I went to all the strep courses. I went through all the AACD stuff. In fact, I spent two years going through the uh, preparation to go through the uh, examination to become accredited by the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. Because in addition to occlusion, one of my other passions was aesthetic or appearance related dentistry. Um, in fact, I became the first dentist in Massachusetts accredited by the AACD, went on for six years to be an examiner for the AACD. Learned a lot more as an examiner as well, because you go into deep in all these cases that people are presenting. All right. So became a good dentist. Wasn't enough. 27 years ago, I found myself in the office of a bankruptcy attorney. Who sent me there? My divorce attorney sent me there because my wife was fed up with the fact that we had no money. I was never with the kids. We had two little kids. I mean, I get chills at how many people, how many dentists can relate to this. Mm -hmm. I get chills at thinking about the fact that there's a lot of us still out there, a lot of our colleagues, maybe some of you guys listening. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you are past it and you're already really successful financially and that's awesome. And I'm going to give you some stuff too. But for those of you who are struggling or maybe you're just starting out, um, becoming a great clinical dentist is important, but it's not the answer to building a great practice. Right. In fact, it's a necessity. It's a first step. All right. So 27 years ago, my uh, divorce attorney says, you know, you, you got no money. I had at that time over a million dollars in debt, which today would be about 2.7 million. I've done the math on it. So 2.5 to 2.7 million dollars in debt as a general dentist, solo GP, making no money anyway. And so um, my wife was fed up. We're in the middle of a divorce. Divorce attorney says, you got to file. You, you got to go see this attorney. So he gives me the name. I go into Boston. Um, it was a cold, rainy October Friday afternoon. It was terrible. Uh, it was, at least it could have been a warm, sunny day, but it's a cold, rainy Friday, October. And I'm sitting in this guy's office and I hand him all my, my books and my numbers and everything. Thumbs through it, puts it back down. I was not in that office for 10 minutes. It was a 10 minute consultation which by the way was $300 back in the day. And that today that'd be about $1,000. But imagine $1,000, 10 minutes. So it's uh, what, 100 bucks, an hour, 100 bucks a minute. Right. So if you want to be a divorce attorney, anyway, <clears throat> he looked at me, he pushes the stuff back. He says, you have no option. He said, you got to file. I'll meet you in, um, I'll meet you in a bankruptcy court, nine o'clock. He set it all up, nine o'clock on Monday morning. So I left his office, headed for bankruptcy. And, um, feeling terrible. Saturday, I get a call from my divorce attorney and he says, uh, you can't file. I said, why can't I file? You sent me there and I was there yesterday. He says, I know. He said, but 
part of the legalities in a divorce are, I needed to update your ex-wife, now my ex-wife, uh, her attorney on what we're going to do. And when I said, Monday, we're filing for bankruptcy, she said, no worries at all. Tuesday, we're going to file the, uh, in the family court to motion the judge to dissolve your home and your practice. <clears throat> I said I said to my divorce attorney, they wouldn't do that, would they? I, that's the how I can make money to pay the alimony. It's how I can pay child support. I mean, they wouldn't do that. He said in Massachusetts, they would. He said Massachusetts is a 50-50 no-fault divorce state. He said in a 50-50 no-fault divorce state, he said they probably will allow it. He said, you can't risk it. So now with bankruptcy off the table, I couldn't go bankrupt. So with bankruptcy off the table, I still had all the debt. I still had the divorce. I still had an office manager who had embezzled me. Uh, yeah. I had no money, so she took whatever was left. Um, so all this stuff happening, I call this my perfect storm year. And you and I have never discussed this. Well, I never told you about this. I call it my perfect storm year. In retrospect, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I had my head down and I had my head in the sand like an ostrich, figuring that just go to more clinical courses, buy more, more cool equipment that would do better dentistry. Get... All right. So <clears throat> that's a little bit of my backstory. It's not the whole thing. I will tell you that the next two to two and a half years were a whole lot of trial and error because there was no place to, what do you do from this point on? So there's a lot of trial and error. But the trial and error was no longer about clinical dentistry. I just kind of set that aside for the moment, figuring that I needed to work on the business of the practice. And so I'd go to various business lectures. In fact, I spent the last 10 days with my wife and with my right arm guy in Hawaii at a business conference for 10 days, having nothing to do with dentistry. I was the only person in dentistry at that conference. And um, so I started going to all these conferences and I said, you know what? There's one problem with a lot of this stuff. And that is, it's good information, but how do you use it in a dental practice? So it still didn't work right away. I'd have to figure out how do you tweak that to make it actually work in practice with a patient, with a team member, with, with my accounting systems, whatever it was. A couple of years later, um, I had increased, and we're going to talk about how I did this specifically, because if you're still in PPOs and you want to increase revenue, that's what we're talking about today is what I did to do that. Because I couldn't just pull the plug on the PPOs. Right. Um, I did eventually go fee for service. I, I, went, I, I pulled the plug on everybody and I went 100% fee for service, but it took me about two years. And one of the things that I say now, and people say, wait a minute, you're the guy who talks about how to get out of PPOs. But one of the things that I say is, and it's true, and it's a writer downer, getting out of PPOs, dropping PPOs is the last thing I would recommend. Dropping PPOs, and, and I would, I would write that down. Dropping PPOs is the last thing I would recommend. Now it's half tongue in cheek, right? Not one hundred percent. It's half tongue in cheek. The reason I say it's half tongue in cheek is it's true, but it is the last step that I would recommend. So I'm not saying don't leave them, but if you just start cutting the cord, and Kirk, you know this to be true. If people just dropped all their PPOs, it would be a major financial risk for the practice, right? Right. And if it were that easy. If you could just drop them and everything would be fine, if we were all confident that that would work, PPOs could not and would not exist. Why not? Because PPOs are just an item, it's a product, a service that insurance companies sell to employers. You couldn't sell it if there are no providers. Right. You couldn't sell your PPO to the employer and say, <clears throat> yeah, that'll be great. What zip code do you know? I'm in such and such zip code. Well, great. I don't have any providers anywhere near you. Mm-hmm. 
So what do you do? Well, the first thing I would recommend is, and we're going to talk about this today, figure out a way. Let's say you're a solo practitioner because we got to figure out you know, numbers wise. And if you're if you have two in the office, double this. If you have three in the office, triple this. If you're a solo doc, I would figure out a way to increase my revenue by 100, 150, 200,000. I'm not talking about production. I'm talking about revenue. Oh, well, what's the difference? For you listening, the difference is somewhere around 35%. Why? Well, because you're writing off somewhere around 30 to 35% of the PPOs. Right. Now, it's 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 sad, but years ago, I thought I was losing my shirt writing 20% off. Today, there are dentists who would kill to be down at 20% loss. We have members in uh, California who are writing off 40, 45, 48%, just nuts. Yeah. Almost 50% parts of California, Texas, a couple areas. But 30 to 35% is pretty much the norm. Well, why is that an important number? Because you need to know, this takes me to, I, I hate to do this, but this takes me to another subject. One of the biggest mistakes I see dentists making today, and again, I didn't know any of this back then. One of the biggest mistakes I see dentists making today, and about half of us are doing it, is when a patient comes in and we perform a service, crown, whatever it is, we post not the full fee, but we post the fee that we know the insurance will allow. So we have those all loaded in. We think that's really cool that we already have all these numbers loaded in because it makes it really easy to do the math. Well, that's true. It makes it easy, but it's also killing you on two fronts. When you're posting, instead of putting in full fee, if you're putting in the PPO fee, the allowed fee by contract, it's costing you in two ways. Number one is you have absolutely no way to figure out what you're losing. Right. And although you know you're probably losing a lot, when it's that obscure, when there's nothing being actually calculated or tracked in your practice, in fact, I ended up writing um, uh, a formula and, and it's it's complex. I don't, I don't have it in my head. It's in a Google sheet. But I wrote a formula where we can back into your top line number. Um, and even if you did it on a piece of paper and figured it out roughly, it's, it's an exercise you should be doing. Why? Because you could be a million dollar producer who's only writing off $50,000, which isn't bad at all. You could be a million dollar producer. You're more likely writing off three to 400,000 which brings me to another subject. And again, I hate to veer off in so many directions, but every one of these brings up something else that you, you need to know. So Kirk, Dr. Smith says to you, Kirk, I'm losing 400,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And I'm only a one doc office, one doc, one hygienist, and I'm writing off $400,000. So Kirk, in the future, your answer will be, it's not true. Right. It's not what you're losing. There's more than that. You're losing close to a half million. Yeah. Why? Because variable expenses to treat the 400,000 that you're giving away for free, you're not collecting on that 400,000. The variable expenses are somewhere between 12 and 15%. So there's 60,000. Mm -hmm. All right. So I get the 60. So it costs me to produce that. So I'm at 460. What's the other 40,000? It's the other team member who's doing all that insurance work that they wouldn't need to do if you weren't in the PPOs. Right. So Almost every practice today has anywhere from a half-time to a full-time employee just dealing with the crap. Yeah. They just are. All right. So let's go back to where we were. And why would I increase 150, 200,000, 250,000? I want to do that so that when I begin to drop PPOs, I'm in a position of financial strength and not a position of weakness. Right. 
I want to be in such strength, such strong position financially that if I lost most of the patients from the first one that I drop, it's not going to be a huge hit because I'm already up that much. So here's another paradox. In the old days, we used to see, and I used to do the same thing. Um, actually, I'm going to hold that thought and I'm going to ask you to remind me of the thought. The thought is, which one do you drop first? <laughs> All right. Before I tell, before I give you that the rest of that thought. Okay. On which which one do you drop first? I want to tell you a piece of the backstory that I forgot about. So it took me a couple of years. I turned my turned my practice around. I started to increase revenue. We'll talk about how to do that today, even while you're still in the PPOs, because that's when you want to do it first. And um, we were doing really well, making a lot of profit. Then I had dropped all the PPOs, so I was 100% fee for service. And out of the blue, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. He thought he had an ulcer. He went in for surgery. They closed him back up. They said, you get six months to live. He was healthy, playing tennis, playing golf, but he wasn't healthy and he didn't know it. All right. So he wasn't a dentist. I know others who some of us think are dentists and are not. So he wasn't a dentist, but he owned a dental practice. And that's a long story as well. It's about 45 minutes from mine. His was ginormous though. Mine was kind of a, you know, one doctor, it wasn't one doctor. We had an associate doc and we had a specialist or two, but, but, but the point is that physically it was a small office. His was 11 chairs. He had 15 PPOs. He had a huge support team. He had three GPs, two specialists, three hygienists and all the support personnel. And the more dentistry they did, the more money they lost. Mm. And I didn't know much about it because he didn't want to burden his son and, and I get it. So he, I knew he was stressed, but he would never tell me all the details until he was at the Mass General Hospital dying. And he said, I got I to gotta tell you what's going on. I said, what's, what's up? And he said, you got to help your mom out. I said, what's going on? <clears throat> he said, um, we're behind on the daily bills in the office. He said, I can't even pay the bills. He said, I have no life insurance. I canceled it three years ago. Had he told me that, I would have paid for his life insurance. I have no life insurance. He said, I have no retirement. He said, there's no money. All we have is debt. Your mother has nothing to live on. So I said, we will take care of her. Don't worry about it. And he said, turn that practice around like you did yours. I said, we'll do it. Now, truth is we didn't need to turn the practice around and take care of my mother. We were doing really well financially and could have put her in good, good style. She lived another 15, 18 years, fortunately. So we could have put her in first class style for the next 15 or 18 years just off of the money that we had made. But I made a promise to my dad and that was that I'm going to turn that practice around. So Elizabeth and I set out to Worcester and we not only had our FIFA service practice, but now we had this PPO monster, which was losing money. On day one, and by the way, for the listeners who are younger and maybe not in PPOs yet, maybe don't even have your practice yet, just going to have a practice soon. I often hear them say, young docs and, and early in practice docs, I'm just going to add one or two PPOs just right now while I have some open chair time, because wouldn't that make sense? I'm not losing anything. I'm actually gaining something because that chair time's open. Right. Adding a couple of PPOs is like taking a, a malignant cancer cell and putting it in and saying it's only a few cells. It will grow until it kills you. So if you're not there yet, don't go there. If you're not in PPOs, don't go there. Mm -hmm. All right. So we set out for Worcester, brought a bunch of stuff, including my wife brought her checkbook. We sat down the first day because we knew he was behind on the bills. <clears throat> Pardon my voice. We knew he was behind on the bills. <clears throat> so we sat down with the bookkeeper, uh, Lisa. And my wife says to Lisa, Tom's dad says he knew that there were some bills that weren't paid. 
can you add all those up? Because she says, Dr. Orange, she said, uh, and Elizabeth, if we don't catch up on the bills completely, we're going to get shut down. He said, he owes lab money. He owes suppliers money. He owes everybody money. I said, that's one, one of the reasons we're here today. I said, and so Elizabeth, you know, held up this little checkbook and she says, we brought our checkbook and just, if you could add it up, we'll write you a check. She says, you don't understand. She says, I've already added it up. I, she says, I need you to write me a check today for a hundred thousand dollars. So he was behind on the daily bills. You know, the stuff comes in in the mail. He was behind on the mail, a hundred thousand dollars. Right. So fortunately we were in good shape. She wrote her, she wrote them a check for a hundred thousand dollars handed, handed to her, got us to zero. And then we met with the assistants. And one of the assistants says, Dr. Rump, may I be frank? I said, you please. She said, your dad was a sweetheart. Everybody, everybody loved him. Patients loved him, even though he wasn't a dentist. Patients loved him, the staff loved him. I said, thank you so much. She says, yeah, but we couldn't talk to him about the dental clinical stuff. He didn't understand. I said, what's wrong? She said, two out of your three, now they're mine. She says, two out of your three GPs are knowingly committing malpractice on a daily basis every day. I said, tell me more. And she did, and she brought me records, and she showed it to me, and she was right. And I'm not going to go into what, with the, cut, the corners that they were cutting. They knew they were cutting. This wasn't right. accidental. <clears throat> and I had no choice but to sit with those two doctors on day one and say, this is what I see. This is what they told me. If this continues, you're, you're, you're just terminated. Oh, we didn't realize it. It'll never happen again. A few weeks later, I terminated both of them. Had to replace two out of our three den dentists. So now I have this massive PPO machine with 11 chairs and two new, anyway, within two years, we had eliminated 13 of his 15 plants, made it a practice that my dad would have been proud of, that the patients were served at the highest level clinically now, which is what I always did in my main office, but I didn't know wasn't going on my dad's office where I would have said, so I didn't know, nobody told me and he didn't know. All right. So, and I'm not going to get in all the corners that people cut, but Sometimes dentists feel forced into cutting certain corners. I'll give you a simple one. Um, are you aware, you may be aware of this, maybe not. Are you aware that a significant percentage of dentists choose not to offer certain services that they might have otherwise offered if it was full fee right. because they can't afford to based on a certain contract or whatever? Right. Patients don't know that. Patients think they're getting the deal of the century. I have a PPO that gives me the best fees and we get really good and this dentist is really good. Well, the dentist may be really good, but he or she's not always offering you the same thing they're offering a full fee patient because they can't afford to. Mm -hmm. One of my colleagues many years ago <clears throat> um, told a funny story. He said, and I'm sure he was joking, but he said, I'll go into hygiene. I'll do a check. And he says, I'll see that they need, you know, whatever, composite, whatever it is. He said, sometimes he says, you can't afford to do that. He says, what I'll do is I'll write the patient a check for a hundred dollars. And I'll say, here, I don't want to do that for you. I want you to go down the street and pay somebody else to do it because I can't afford to do that. Of course, he was joking. He never wrote the check, but that right. was the point. All right. Turn that practice around. Did I make it 100% fee for service? No, I did not. And here's why. I removed 13 of the 15 plans, and then we'll get to which plan should you remove first, because that was the thing I told you to remind me. Right. So I removed 13 of the 15. The two that Elizabeth and I decided to keep, we kept because the fees were actually really good. They were close enough to my dad's fees and our fees that didn't want to rock that boat. They were pretty good. We were a small write-off. The other thing was they were decent. They were respectful with my team. They didn't hold, put them on hold for 30 minutes and then hang up on them and say, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I got you disconnected. 
They didn't deny stuff by an algorithm. Doctors think that these denials are happening by you know a $15 an hour clerk. They are not. The first denial is by an algorithm that denies a certain percent. This is the truth, guys. Right. The certain the first downgrades and denials are not done by a cheap clerk. They're done by an algorithm that, that removes about 30 to 32% of all claims by just rejecting them. Did you know that only 35% of claims that are denied are ever appealed? Did not know that. That's, they're, 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 they are depending on that, that you will not appeal anything. All right. So we could go down so many different tunnels here. So let me get to the punchline, which is which should you remove first once you're up enough that you feel comfortable financially, that, that even if you lost most of those patients. And by the way, you shouldn't lose those patients because if you, if you use the right verbal skills, if you use the right timing, if you speak one-on-one -on -one with the patients, not a letter. If you send a letter, by the way, sending a letter and saying we're getting out of Delta or Blue Cross or Cigna or any, whatever your plan is, there's all sorts of plans. Um, I'm not choosing any one. If you send a letter to those patients, you will lose most of those patients. Tell us why. You want to know why? Yeah. I'll tell you why. I did write the letter, by the way. Mm -hmm. I did write the letter. I just never sent it. I wrote the best letter. It explained why their health was my number one concern, which it was, and why I've done everything possible to invest in the best equipment, the best technology, the best team members, the best continuing education, all this stuff that I do to make sure that you get the best possible outcome in your health, because it's all about the patient and not about me. And I never mailed that letter, and here's why. We, we had a discussion one-on-one, -on -one, and then I handed them the letter after the discussion, but the, the discussion was more important than the letter. Let's say you do mail a letter. Ah, that sounds like a lot of work, Tom. It's going to take six months. It's going to take one full recall cycle. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to have to go through all this one-on-one -on -one talking. All right. If you send a letter instead, you try to shortcut this. Mrs. Jones gets home at five o'clock after working the full day. The kids are back from school. She's back. Everybody's kind of running in. They know dad's coming home in about a half hour. She tries to put something together because he wants a hot meal, doesn't realize she just worked the whole day. Or maybe he realized, but doesn't care, whatever. He wants a hot meal. And so she's fussing to make that meal. The kids are scurrying around. She gets them at the table. He comes in, everybody sits down and they're looking at some mail. And, and he says to her, what's that from Dr. Smith? She says, I don't know. I didn't open it. She says, open it up. Find out what it is. is. Is it a bill? What is it? She glances through it. She says, oh no, he's um, dropping our insurance. We need to find another provider. Yep. That's all. That's all they're going to do, mm -hmm. especially if she had a bad day or he had a bad day or the kids are screaming. They're not going to say, you know, kids, quiet down for a second. And Bill, I know you had a hard day and I'm, I'm making a hot meal, but I just want to address this for a minute. He's one of the finest dentists, finest human beings we've ever met. He never compromises on our care. They don't care. They get the letter. They're just going to switch providers. So do not send a letter saying, we're leaving. Now, what does that mean? That means the timing of telling a PPO that you are leaving should be six months before, I'm sorry, you should tell them six months after you make the decision and you begin speaking with your patients. Because I don't want to allow, I don't want to allow any of those PPOs, and you and I have talked about this, to send that poison letter that they will, they right. will. 
within 24 hours of your telling them that you're leaving, they will auto-generate a terrible letter talking about how you are no longer considered a preferred provider. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. All that means is that you've dumped their contract, but what it sounds like to the patient is you did something wrong. Yeah. And then they give a list of 10 other competitors who are within two blocks of you or whatever the distance might be. So, all right, let me, <clears throat> let me move on to what is really a short thing. And that is once you're up a couple hundred thousand dollars, let's say 150, 200,000, let's say you have eight plans and your smallest plan is, is $150,000 a year. So if you just went up 150,000 and you drop a plan that's 150,000, even if you lost half, three quarters of them, and you won't if you do it right. But even if you did, you're still in a nice financial position. So which one would I drop? A lot of docs drop the one that they hate the worst, whichever one that is, and they hate it because it has the worst write-off. Right. So let's say on average, I'm writing off about 30 to 32%, which is typical. But let's say my worst one is 38% or 40%. I'm just, just getting torn apart by that plan. The emotional decision is to drop that plan first. Do not do that. You want to drop the smallest plan first, the one where you have the fewest patients. Maybe it's not a big write-off. I don't care. <clears throat> let's say one of your let, let's say the plan with the worst write-offs is twenty or thirty percent of your patient base. Mm -hmm. That's scary. Let's say a plan with a reasonable write-off is only eight percent of your patient base. That's a good test case scenario for you where it's pretty much a no-lose situation. Right. So all of what I was describing before, the one-on-one, -on -one, I call it the knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye, toe-to-toe. That's a writer-downer. It's the knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye, toe-to-toe conversation one at a time. It's either done by one of the GPs in your office or by the hygienist or both, depending on who, who has the patient first, basically. You only have to do it one time. <clears throat> and by the way, at the end of six months, you will not have seen everybody because not everybody comes in. Right. What do you do now? What you do now is you pull a computer report of the ones that you never saw in the last six months, and maybe that's 50 people, 80, whatever. And now you and the hygienist, the doctor and the hygienist, split those people up and you call them and you have the same conversation. Now, the phone's not as good as knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye, toe-to-toe, but it's way better. The phone is way better than sending them a letter that they're not going to read. They're just going to, you know what, this has been a terrible day. Just add that to the pile and we'll find another provider tomorrow. All right. So you make calls to the ones you couldn't see physically. If you do this right, you're going to keep a lot of the patients. I, I maintained, I re retained a high percentage of my patients in both practices. But you should always, like Harvey McKay said, dig your well before you're thirsty. You should always add that revenue before you need it. So that's the answer to the question that I started with a long time ago. Um, I suppose we should get to the topic for today, lest we don't get there at all. And that is, okay, so if you're going to, this is actually a good lead-in because this is why you have to increase your revenue $100,000, dollars $200,000 before you start dropping anything. And you'll feel better about it because, hey, let me say something before I get into the topic of the day. Let me say something else about revenue. And this is, again, something that's not immediately obvious, but as soon as I tell you, it will be. A lot of our doctors know this, but... Maybe some of the earlier in-practice doctors don't know this. Let's say your overhead is, let's say you're a million-dollar practice and your overhead's 80%, mm -hmm. which unfortunately is what we see a lot of today. It shouldn't be that way, but we see that a lot. When I say a million dollars, I'm talking a million revenue, right. not production. 
So you're a million dollar practice. You're taking home 200,000, which you should be for the amount of work time, effort and blood, sweat and tears you put into doing this. You should be taking home a lot more, a lot more than that. Right. But let's say you're taking home 200,000 a year. If you increase your revenue, $200,000. So you went from one to 1.2. Simple math would say 0.8 times 1.2 million. And now your net, sorry, I screwed that up. 0.2 times 1.2 million. Now you're taking home 240,000. Right. That's bad math. It's really bad math. The business doesn't work like that. Why? Because most of your first million is is fixed overhead costs. So if you have 800,000 as your overhead because you're a million dollar practice with an 80% overhead, of that 800,000, 75%, I'm sorry, 85 bad math. 85% in a dental practice is fixed costs. Now, to go up another 200,000 in a one doc office, two doc office whatever, to go up 100,000, 200,000 you're not going to add more staff. Your staff, you and your staff can do that in the blink of an eye. You're not going to add more staff. You should not be buying a lot of expensive equipment. You don't need to, oh, if you just buy this $50,000 piece of machine, you're, you're at a trade show. If you just buy this 80, 100, 120, they're going up, by the way. It used to be 50 to 80. Now they're all these different technologies. They're 80, 100, 120. However, doctor, if you only use this twice a week, it'll pay for itself and generate profit. Right. And they become they become chains and balls, balls and chains around the ankles of these poor doctors. They really, really do because now they're making a payment that they can't afford because, all right, so the fixed costs are your facility cost, your malpractice, your, your team is the highest cost, so team and facility, all that stuff. The variable expenses to, to do that extra $200,000 worth of revenue, the only variable expenses really are lab and supply. Your lab and supply combined should be somewhere between 12 and 15%. Devil's advocate. Well, we mill everything. We don't use a lab. Yeah, you know, but your supply costs are going to go up. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But your supply costs are going to go up, go up almost the same as your lab costs would have for the materials to mill. Which brings me to another point. Slightly off topic, but uh, two nights ago on Wednesday night. Yeah, Wednesday night. I lose track of time. On Wednesday night, one of the our, our guest presenter for my coaching members was an old friend and colleague of mine who is amazing with 3D printing. I don't know if you've had anybody on for 3D. Have you had anybody on for 3D printing yet? Uh, just a few, not many though. Okay. You've got to have Chris Griffin. Okay. And uh, after the show, I can give you his contact information. Please. I was speaking to several of my members this morning they were raving about not only what they learned, but about the human being on the other other side of the uh, the webinar. He he was amazing and so heartfelt, so transparent. He not only told them all the good stuff about 3D printing and what his journey with it, he told them all the downfalls and the pitfalls and the things you, you just got to know your, okay. But anyway, um, 3D printing, you can print a crown that's going to be that's going to fit equally well as milled or better. In fact, he showed a study in Japan from one of the universities in Japan showing that actually the fit is better than milled. But but that aside, I mean, I'm not here to debate clinical stuff. The point is, let's say you're using a, a decent lab, a good lab, 150, 180, 200 dollars, maybe more if it's a really amazing lab. 
but anywhere from 150 to 250, depending on your, your choice of labs for a really, really nice unit. I think he spends $8 or $10. I can't remember the exact number, but it was, it was crazy. Um, surgical stents. You want to do a surgical guide for an implant placement. That's easily a hundred bucks from your lab. And you're going to wait a week, maybe two, but, but probably a week, maybe 120 or 150, but call it a hundred, a hundred bucks for devil's advocate, eight or $10 to print it. You do it while the patient's sitting there. And then you just do the surgery the same day. Anyway, I'm not trying to sell 3D printing. I'm just, I was just amazed by all of the different stuff that can be done. And, and I think it'll be a great follow-up for how do you reduce your overhead and offer same day. To, okay. So anyway, <clears throat> um, going back to the fixed cost. So if you go up $200,000, let's say devil's advocate, let's say it's not 12 to 15%. Let's say there's going to be 20% expenses in that for whatever reason, maybe some of it was marketing, whatever could be. So now 20%, even 30% add some more marketing. So 30%, all right, 70% of 200,000. Well, that sounds like a pretty good number. If I take 0.7 times 200, it looks like you're making 140 extra net, not 40 extra net. So just know that if you're in practice and you're getting crushed by overhead, in addition to working the PPOs and getting them out of the way, one of the things I'd be doing is figuring out any way I can just increase revenue with my fixed costs as they are without adding more staff or more equipment. Yeah. Because it's, it's going to be mostly net. Yeah. Go back to this. The masterful fee is a big one. You know, I get, I routinely get, you know, information from a dentist that needs some help and they say, well, I participate in a lot of different plans, but the write-off is 3%. So you can already tell what's going on here. People aren't putting in their masterful fee. It's bigger than I thought it was ever, you know, it's problem. Huge. It's huge. And so, you know, when you do start to make that pivot, let's say you take, you know, you move away from the smallest plan, then the patients you never saw. When you're putting, talk, talk about this, Tom, when you're putting in your full fee consistently, at least you're aware, then the patients are also aware that that's your full fee. Because if you don't, you move away from them and they say, whoa, you really raised your fees a lot, right? Yeah. So interesting thing about PPOs and leaving them. This is, this is one of the negatives. And by the way, I would still urge everybody to get out if you can, which you can if you choose to. It's a mm -hmm. choice. It's not an F. But um, one of the things that's, I'll, I'll give you the good and the bad about PPOs. The only good thing about PPOs is that there's a law. And by the way, neither of us are attorneys, so don't go by anything we say legally. You should check with your attorney on this. <laughs> Having said that, it is my understanding that there is a law that they cannot use the words preferred provider organization PPO unless they are willing to allow the patient to go to any provider and still pay. So, and again, that's not something I would just take, oh, Tom or Kirk said it. No, check with your attorney, read the contracts, check with your state and federal law on it. But having said that, I am quite certain that that is accurate. Now, that means the good news is when you leave a PPO, you can say to Mrs. Jones, the great thing is that we can still not only you know, send in the information and take care of the claims and all that. So you don't have to do a thing that's all done for you. But the better news is we can not only continue to see you and take care of the claims, but we can also continue to get you benefit from the PPO because that PPO, they won't tell you this, but they allow you to go to anybody you want. Right. That's the good news. The bad news, and a lot of the dentists already know the bad news. The bad news is the percentage will be different for an in-network versus an out-of-network provider. So OON, which is out-of-network versus in-network, 
But you know what? If you do it right, if you speak to the patients right, I'm sure you guys have great relationships with your patients. That's why they're going to you. They're going to stay if you do it right. All right. I want to I want to keep going here because we I promised you some stuff on how do you raise your revenue even while you're still in PPO because that's where you got to do it first. Right. All right. So we're, we're gonna we're gonna hit these quick because I know both of our time is limited now. Um, first of all, front end targeted marketing. Front end targeted marketing. What does that mean? Targeted marketing means you don't just try, and I've done more advertising in dental in both of my practices than ninety nine percent of dentists. I've done more marketing for my practices than ninety nine. I just did a lot of it. Got really really good at it. <clears throat> Today I don't have a, I, I don't obviously I don't have a dental practice because I help other dentists. But um, last count, which was like yesterday. Um, we're, we're putting, it depends on the, the quarter, but we're putting anywhere from a half million to three quarters of a million dollars a year just in Facebook. So I do a lot of marketing. Front-end targeted marketing is the first thing I would be doing if I wanted to get out of PPOs. Why? Because targeted marketing means you are only targeting a specific demographic and or service, and specifically the service, treatment or service, and you're only going to target stuff that you want to do more of and if you're really sharp, you're only going to target things that aren't covered by insurance. Right. So by targeting, first of all, with targeted marketing, the cool thing about it, regardless of insurance, let's say insurance coverage or doesn't, doesn't cover it. When somebody raises their hand, they click on your ad, and, and this would be through typically Google or Facebook, so it's online. And um, when somebody clicks on your ad, let's say it's for Invisalign, clear, correct, whatever, whatever you're doing, they click on that. The only reason they've clicked on your ad is because that's the service they want and they're thinking about getting it right now. It's very different than a general advertising patient who comes in, oh, I saw your ad in the newspaper, I saw your ad on your, your website, whatever. Uh, we just moved to the area and we, we just need a checkup on a cleaning. We need a new dentist. That's nice. And there may be work to do there. There probably is. But 95% of the patients in a general practice are asymptomatic. Right. So. Even if that patient just moved to your area, and even if they do have some work to do, you have two jobs to get them. You have two bars you have to hit in order to get them to say yes to your treatment when it's asymptomatic. The first bar is easy. The first bar is that they recognize, appreciate, and agree that there even is a problem. That's an easy bar. We've got so much technology today. Every dentist listening to this has the technologies and the verbal skills to make it pretty clear that there's a problem. They're still not going to schedule. They won't schedule. That, that's only bar number one. Bar number two is way harder. And it's not something that I can teach in a in a in, in in any in any situation quickly because it's something that we take a year to teach. Right. But the second bar, I can tell you what it is so you can focus on it because you can still do it yourself. There's a done for I'm sorry, there's a DYI, there's a do-it-yourself component to this. And that is the second bar is, and this is this is probably the biggest writer downer of today. I hope you got a lot already, but this is the biggest writer downer. Patients, even if they, yeah, I guess that is an issue. I didn't realize that my last dentist didn't tell me about it or it doesn't hurt or whatever. They, to get them to appreciate that they have a problem, that's easy, but they still won't schedule unless they sense an immediate or urgent need to schedule and do the treatment. Write that down. Patients will not schedule unless they sense an immediate or urgent need to do that treatment with the exception of elective care like aesthetics. So we're not talking about, oh, a smile makeover. 
we're talking about they need a root canal, they need a crown, they need an onlay, they need an implant, all the, all these other things, extract, whatever it is, your phase one period, whatever it is, the moment that they sense that there's an immediate and urgent need, you're going to see something disappear, which you have been you have been hoping and hoping would disappear forever. And that is patients telling you, I just can't afford that right now. It just, it just it's, it's, I get that I need that, but the twins just started college or my car just went, we just had to replace the car about a week ago. And, and even that was a bit of a strain for our family. They'll give you these sob stories about money. It's not the money. Write these five words down. I'm not sure if it's five words. It is five words. Write these five words down. I had to use my fingers to do that. It's not about the money. They'll tell you it's about the money 99% of the time. All right, now this doesn't make any sense. Tom's saying that it's not about the money, but they tell us it's about the money every time. Why? The reason is because it's way more comfortable for a patient to say, oh, you know, the twins just started school. I'm going to need to you know, think about that. We'll put that off for a bit. Uh, we'll definitely get that done, but just not right now. Now's not a good time financially. It's way easier. I said that in 10 seconds and it was comfortable. What's not comfortable is for me to say to them, to say to you, I don't really think that I need to get that done right now because right. you're basically, you're conflicting with the dentist who just gave his professional opinion or her professional opinion that this is very necessary and you should do this. So they don't want to, they don't want to argue with you. They'll just tell you it's the money. You can't argue with the money. Right. You can't, if they tell you our family cannot afford this right now, you can't argue with that. So, all right, I'm going to go off on a tangent about the money here. I can prove it's not the money because now we still have 50% of the dentists and dental team members listening to your podcast saying, it's the money. It's, it's not, he's wrong. It's the money. I can prove it's not the money. Here's how I can prove it. 5% of the time it is the money. They're living hand to mouth, literally, and they don't have any money. Those patients typically don't go in on any regular basis to a, a general practice. They'll, they'll go in to the hospital, they'll, they'll, do, or they'll go nowhere. But 5% of the time, yeah, you'll see patients who have zero money. 95% of your patients can afford your very best care. I'm talking inlays, onlays, quadrant dentistry, crowns, buildups, implants, your finest dentistry, one quadrant. I'm not talking about a full mouth reconstruction, but if you were to phase that plan one quadrant at a time, and I don't know what your fees are, I don't even know what the treatment is, and we can't discuss fees anyway. So let's say it was 5,000 bucks for some work in the upper right. So from here to here, $5,000. How do I know that they can afford five thousand? I'm going to make the assumption, which isn't always the case, but I'm going to make the assumption that let's say one of the outside third-party financing companies could finance it for them. And I get that that won't always be the case. Devil's advocate, though, you can get them financed. You can get them financed. Uh, it's just a matter of how much you're going to have to pay as an interest. So the interest can be pretty exorbitant if their credit is terrible. Okay, so sixty-month financing. It costs about. Let's say it's a $4,000 quadrant. It's $85 a month for 60 months, give or take, based on the percentage rate that they're going to charge them. Let's say it's a $5,000 quadrant. It's still not much more than $100. So call it $100 for a four or $5,000 quadrant, including the interest for the 60 months. All right, so it's $100 a month. How do I know that 95% of your patients can afford that? Because the average American family is spending between $450 and $500 a month on three cell phones for the average American family, two parents and one kid, although you guys know Usually it's more than one kid with a cell phone and they right. can be nine or 10 years old with their own cell phones today. Yep. Or eight or less. All right. And the other thing that they're spending money on 
that they don't have to, they choose to, is cable or satellite TV. Because you know what? Those rabbit ears stopped working about 10 years ago. Nobody has rabbit ears on their TVs anymore. So cable and satellite TV, and it's not just the base service, it's the Hulu, the Netflix, the uh, pay-per-view, the on-demand, the ESPN+. Plus. Uh, I'm probably missing half of the streaming services. And many families have three or four or five streaming services and don't even know if they're watching them. Yeah, I'm one of them. That's for so, sure. That's for we're sure. We're one of them. My, my wife, Elizabeth, she says recently, I think we got that service for your mom. My mom passed away several years ago. We got a service for her because she wanted to watch something. Yeah. She hadn't been here for years. All right. So they're spending 500 bucks a month. Now I got to, can I tell you a funny story? All right. Here's my funny story. I heard that now that head nod. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing, this is, this is a true story. I'm doing a new member. We do coaching as you know. So a new Freedom Summit member coaching, it was a welcoming intro call. This is about two, three weeks back. And I was going through this proof that your patients, really, it's not about the money. And so when I finished it, there was a dental assistant. She starts jumping up and down. She says, Tom, wait. I said, wait, what? She says, you missed two things. Mm -hmm. She's all excited. She says, you missed two things. I said, what did I miss? She said, first of all, their hair. I said, well, I don't know much about hair. Enlighten me. So, so she, she says, women can spend $150, $200, $250 every month on their hair. I was like, I, I honestly didn't know that because I've never asked Elizabeth, you know, what are you spending? I have right. no interest in finding, even find out. I have no idea. Um, so I didn't know that, but okay. Two, two to two fifty a month on their hair they could be spending. I said, but you told me I missed two things. She was so sweet, this little kid. She's jumping up and down. She says, no, you did miss two things. I said, what was the other thing? Now, you got to see the visual on this. She, she goes like this. I said, five? She rolls her eyes at me. She says, no, not five. She said, this is five. She said, they're nails. nails. Yeah. See, two guys, we didn't get it. I assume that was five. So she says, no, idiot. She didn't call me an idiot. I'm thinking she's thinking, idiot. She says, I said, how much do they spend on their nails? She said, it could be 50, 60, 70, $80 is not unusual at all. I said, every month she started looking at me again, rolling her eyes. She said, no, if they're spending 80 bucks on their nails, they don't do it once a month. They do it twice a month. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I just clip mine and it's free. <laughs> um, so, all right. So to her point, if you just look at, we're only looking at their cell phone bill, their cable or satellite bill, and the nails and the hair. That's about 800 bucks a month. Yeah. And we didn't get into anything else. You know, they're spent, wait a minute, the quadrant was only 100 bucks a month. It is ludicrous to think that it's the money because it is not. Right. So, what is it? It's the lack of a sense of immediate or urgent need to proceed with the care. So, that's, it's a, it's a foolproof proof that, that most, meaning 90, 95% of your patients really could afford it. So, we talked about targeted marketing, Google ads, Facebook. Um, there is no better way to quickly and consistently bring in really inexpensive new patient acquisition cost. The average new patient in a general practice acquisition cost through traditional media, which would be newspaper, radio, TV, mailers, flyers, all that. So offline, average cost about $250 to $300. That's a good fee. So I, I'd pay that any day of the week. Yeah. The average 
lifetime value of a GP practice new patient is 6,200 over a six-year period. So that means if I'm bringing in 6,000 over the next you know, six years and I'm paying 250 or 300, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Our, our coaching members, we do done-for-you targeted marketing funnels as one of the things. Our coaching members are paying average 65 to 80, 85. So it's, it's well under $100. Right. Even the ones who are spending a little bit more, it's under a hundred bucks. Yeah. So bringing in a new patient acquisition, and this isn't a generic general patient who doesn't know anything's wrong. This is somebody who raised their hand and said, I want implants. I want uh, adult ortho. I want aligners. I want whatever. Yeah. So, so again, well, that's where I would start. Well, let's do this Tom, Cause um, I know I can't keep you all day and I actually have to run to another appointment. I'm going to have you back again and again and again. Um, give us some last thoughts. And um, I also want you to tell people where to go if they want to find out more sure. about what you do. All right. So I appreciate coming back because um, we've only done, um, I had in my outline of what you asked me to speak about, which which we did talk about, uh, I've only been about 10% into that. So we got about 90% <laughs> to go on how to increase revenue before getting out of PPOs. So if your listeners, let's say they do want to do what I said, which is to safely reduce, you know, safely reduce dependence, they can download my free special report. And the report's called a four-step system dentists use to safely and predictably withdraw from PPOs and increase net profit, which is, of course, the thing you want to do is increase your net profit. That download they can get at, um, this is a really difficult URL. It's called PPOFO. PPOFO. It's F-O-E. Because I am the PPOFO. So I'm the defender of all the evil PPOs uh, against the P. So PPOFO.com. That's where they can get that special report. F-O-E.com. PPO. All right. So PPOFO.com is the special report. Now, if they would like our help actually mapping out step-by-step plan specific to their practice, this is not generic. This is actually going to be specific to their practice, how they can safely and reliably and predictably get out of the PPOs, increase their revenue first. That I would recommend doing a breakthrough call with one of my breakthrough coaches. The coaches are amazing. Uh, that's at PPOexit.com. Um, so there's ppofo.com, but the one for the breakthrough call would be ppoexit.com. The free breakthrough call, it's a one-hour call. I will guarantee you that it will be the best one hour you've ever invested work. It's free, but it's the best time you've ever spent working on the business of your practice to get yourself into a position. Whether or not at the end, my coach feels that we could help you, we don't know until we find out what's going on, what your goals are, what situation you're in. If he does feel that he can help you, he can certainly talk about what that would look like. But for 100% of the calls that we do, you will get maximum value and really good clarity on the steps you need to take. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Tom, as always, I appreciate you. Um, if you're listening to the podcast uh, on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, if you're not taking notes, you can flip up to the notes. You're going to see the links that Tom mentioned, and I'm going to highly encourage you to check them out and uh, seek out more help. He's just a, a wealth of knowledge. So Tom, I really, really appreciate you, buddy. And we're going to have you back again and again and again. Sound good? Eric, it's been a lot of fun. I, I appreciate you. You, you are, you're, you're fun to work with and you're doing such an amazing service for the dentists out there. So thank you for what you're doing for all of our colleagues. Well, thank you, buddy. We'll stick around while I say goodbye to everybody else, but thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show podcast. I always enjoy this. I hope you're enjoying it too. And uh, keep sending us suggestions for things that you guys want to see. Keep showing up because I'm going to keep bringing it. 
So until we see you guys next time, or you hear from us next time, keep watching, keep listening to The Best Practices Show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.